So today we start a brand new series called Revive. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking Paul's letters, a letter to the Philippians. And as I've been praying and seeking God and really trying to ask, hey God, what is it you want from us during this season? I feel that he has said the word revive. He wants us to be revived. And so coming off of Easter, being reminded why we are Christians, why we can call ourselves Christians, being reminded that we have something to celebrate, to rejoice, to remember, and perhaps not just once a year on Easter Day, but every day of our lives. That we have something to sing about, that we have something to dance about, to talk about, being reminded that we have something to live for. I wonder, I wonder if we can maybe cast our minds back to Easter. It feels so long ago, doesn't it? Where some of us were in the building and we were celebrating, rejoicing what Jesus had done on the cross for us. And there was celebration in the building. There was hopefully celebration at home. And I wonder if maybe we are forgetting to live in that celebration on a daily basis. We have something to live for, something greater than we could ever fully understand. And for some of us, that might be new. Maybe you've come to know Jesus recently, perhaps through some of our services. Praise God if that is you. Perhaps you're kind of like, actually, I don't fully get it, but I, I, I feel that there's something exciting about it. I, I understand a bit of Jesus. I understand what he's done for me. I'm starting my journey, and maybe that is something new for you. And so the reviving is from an old life to a new life. But perhaps other of us maybe have known Jesus for a while but are feeling tired and weary and beat up. Not just because of the season that we've traveled but possibly perhaps because of life. And I feel that God is saying, hey, let me revive you. I want to revive you, God is saying. I believe. And so we, with that, we're turning to Philippians and a bit of background before we start unpacking scripture. It has to be said, and I've said it before, the letters that Paul writes to the churches are just that. They are letters. It's mail. Now, normally it's illegal to open somebody else's mail, but praise the Lord, he's provided it for us so we can, in fact, come to someone else's mail. But because it's mail, it's intended to be read in one. Now, we do a really bad job of reading scripture sometimes the way it's intended to be read. In fact, today we're only going to read one chapter. And of that one chapter, we're going to only hang out and kind of focus on a few verses in that chapter. But I want to encourage you that as we journey through Philippians over the next few weeks, that you would take time to sit and read the mail. Read the letter from beginning to end. This is not one of his longest letters, not one of his shortest, but it's not the longest either. So you can get through it in a short period of time. You don't need too much time. But I want to encourage you to read it. Because the thing is that Paul writes these letters with an intention of them being heard as a whole, taken as a whole. And so we'll unpack it. We'll take it bit by bit, but it is a letter. So let me encourage you to read it. And if I read it right now, I can guarantee, I can see some of y'all's eyes going, oh my gosh, the whole thing right now. Oh, so don't worry, we're not going to do all of it. But we are going to read all of the first chapter, but we're not there yet. So do read Philippians, but a bit of background before we dive into that first chapter. Um, we know that actually Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from prison, probably prison in Rome. Now there's some debate around that, but most would accept the fact that he's imprisoned in Rome at this point. And he is uh, writing to the church, kind of almost checking on the church. 
We know from Acts, Acts 16 specifically, that, that the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, was actually the first that Paul founded, the first that he started. He has this like, connection with them, I'd imagine, because it, it's his first. And we actually know that it, it, the, the, the first convert, the first believer of the church in Philippi was a woman by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple goods. And we'll see later in this letter to the Philippians that actually women continue to be highly commended and highly featured in the church of Philippi as well. But we see that this letter, Paul is, is, is trying to bring a unified message of, of joyfulness. Of, uh, there's an excited mood. There's, a, there's something exciting that he's writing about, a joy that he's writing about. In fact, the words, joy, the words for joy and rejoice uh, in the original language, occur more than a dozen times in this short little letter. Now, I know that not all of us are feeling joyful or are like rejoicing at the moment. I get that. But I believe that God wants to revive something in us and speak that joy and that rejoicing into our lives. So don't shut off yet if you're thinking, I'm not there to rejoice, Adrian. I don't want to right now. Don't shut this off yet. Keep pushing into what God might be saying. It's a letter that Paul writes out of relationship with this church. It's a letter that Paul writes filled with encouragement, encouragement to live lives as citizens of God's kingdom, encouragement to live lives committed to service of God and one another. It's a, a letter filled with encouragement to live for Christ. So with that, we're going to turn to our reading for today Philippians 1. Don't panic. We won't be here all day. But we are going to read the whole chapter. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel for the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, Brothers and sisters, that, that what has happened to me is, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has it come clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Come on! It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for, out, out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I, I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That is the word of God. How amazing is that? I kind of feel like I just need to take a second, right? Paul writes so much in this small little section so far. And you might be thinking, well, it's a fourth of the letter. Yes, perhaps, but, but it's still not much. It's not much that he's written in here and he's saying so much. Paul, Paul kind of spends this first part of the letter uh, with, 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 with greetings and thanks, which is very kind of normal for him. But he goes into depth with it and he shares his prayers for the Philippians. And I love that he's saying, hey, this is what I'm praying for you. And as I believe that actually that prayer is also a prayer for us. Because as we come to life in Jesus, we grow in love, in knowledge and insight. That's Paul's prayer. Right from the start, Paul shares this big prayer that he has for the Philippians. In sharing this, I think he kind of sets the scene for what is coming. He's not holding back. It's a short letter, but he packs a punch. And Paul has big hopes and expectations for God's people. And in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. It's about Him, not you or me. But does that not also... 
remind you perhaps a little bit about his letter to the Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is our verse for the year last year. Of actually give your whole life as a living act of worship, that you would be able to discern God's mind being renewed in your mind, that you would be able to discern his good and perfect will. Like there's this sense that he's got this message. And we know that to the Romans he had not yet been, but to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi, he is, he's been there. He was, he's like the, the, the starter, the founder of the church. And he's saying, hey, this is my prayer for you, my desire for you. I love you as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And my, my desire is that you would come to know Jesus, but also grow in love, that your love would abound, that you would grow in knowledge and, and deep insight. I mean, wow. Paul's desire for the church, and I would, I would say for any of the church leaders, but I think any church leader's desire, I know it's my desire, but perhaps any Christian's desire is that same prayer. That we would abound in love, that we would walk in unity, that we would go after Christ together. And that seems so much more poignant right now where I'm speaking to you through a camera. But in a weird way, the church has been almost more united and more divided at the same time. We are more connected with people worldwide than we ever have been before. We can be more one body than ever before because of the modern technology that we have. Yet, we are physically divided. And sometimes that physical distance causes those tensions, causes, causes us to drift away. And the prayer is that we would let love abound, that we would walk in unity, that we would love one another more and more, that we would grow in our knowledge of who God is, that we would have depth of insight. And it's not just that head knowledge insight. It's not just being academic. It's having that deep, personal, spiritual insight of God. That is his prayer. Paul, we know, was a smart guy, but he's talking to everybody. He's not just talking to the academics, to the elite. He's saying, hey, all of you grow in this deep insight of God so that we can live based on those things, a life is, a, a pure life, a righteous life through that of Jesus. And all of that, that righteousness, that purity is not for us to say, oh, look at how pure and righteous I am, but it's, it's for God's glory, for his praise. I wonder if there's something stirring inside of you as you hear Paul's words as God by his spirit speaks into you to say, hey, let love abound. Hey, grow in your knowledge of who God is. Grow in your deep insight that you too could go and be living righteously and holy and pure. Not for anybody to say, wow, you're so good. Look at you. But so that you can go praise God. He is my Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for what you've done. All glory to you because, oh my gosh, I couldn't do it by myself. There's joy and excitement rooting through what Paul is sharing. And this coming from a guy who's in prison. This coming from a guy who's suffering. This is not a lukewarm prayer. This is big. This is bold. This is impassioned. This is Paul going, come on, church. Now, often you may think I'm too much. And often you may be really thankful that you can turn me down via your device. But, but I wonder how much maybe we need to turn each other up. <laughs> I wonder how much we need to really step into. And, and again, please don't mishear this. This isn't saying, hey, be like Adrian. This is not about me. 
This is about you being who God made you to be, about being grown in knowledge, grown in that insight, that deep spiritual insight that you would abound in love, that you would give praise and glory for all that you are. That's Paul's prayer. That's my prayer as, as a church leader. And I would dare say that should be your prayer if it isn't already as a Christian that all of us would step in that way. And he's imprisoned with these big, continual, huge prayers for God's people. But that leads me to the next point, which we see arise from Paul's kind of intro here, is that actually suffering for the Lord brings encouragement and confidence in the gospel. And some of you guys are going to hear that statement and go, no! Suffering for the Lord brings encouragement and confidence in the gospel. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, really clearly need to say, don't mishear me. I am not saying here that this is a statement to say that we are called to suffer. That we are called to seek out that suffering. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying, his view is actually that his suffering is one that is actually leading others to go, wow, you are suffering for Christ and you're not running away from it. And that's encouraging them and emboldening them to stand even stronger in their faith. He's seeing others grow in confidence. He's seeing others recognize that the gospel is worth fighting for, suffering for even. In fact, one of the, the facts, one of the, the details used to prove the resurrection of Jesus is the fact that the disciples all suffered in their lives. And they were killed brutally. And the argument goes, and I stand by it, if what they experienced wasn't true, if it was all a lie, if Jesus didn't actually come back to life, if they didn't see him and witness him, if they didn't see him you know, ascend into heaven, then why would you go through all of the pain and all of the torture and all of the suffering when you could just simply say, I'm out. I lied. It's a hoax. That's fine. Just spare my life. That's all they had to do. But they didn't. They suffered, and that is one of the, 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 one of the factors that, as Christians, we can say, hey, they believed, and they stood by it. They had plenty of opportunity, but they so believed, yeah, it happened. And so maybe I didn't get to see Jesus walk that resurrected path, but I, I see accounts of people who did, and I see how they gave their whole lives, and I go, man, that's worth suffering for and dying for. Then, oh my gosh, it gives me confidence that Jesus is who he says that he is. I'd imagine it probably does the same thing. Don't get me wrong, it's scary. But the more we hear of these stories, the more we can do it without the fear that Paul talks about. How often do we hear stories of Christians who are persecuted in churches? How often do we hear the stories of the persecuted church? In Iraq, in, in China, in North Korea, things that are happening in parts of the world where they shouldn't be happening. We hear these amazing stories. And I don't know about you, but to me, when I hear them, I get encouraged. I go, wow, come on, God. They are fighting for you. They are worshiping in you. They are meeting underground, praising you, giving their whole lives for you. Yes, Lord, more of that, Lord. Come on, Lord. May I love you and praise you like that. 
Thank you that you are worth living for, that you are worth fighting for. Thank you that you are worth suffering for. We hear these stories and they're real stories, not just of the past, of the disciples who gave their lives, but of people right now, today, who are giving their lives to just simply worship, to just meet. To just meet in the flesh. And some of you might be thinking, well, why aren't we meeting? Well, we're not meeting because we're trying to follow advice to keep each other safe, but there are some parts of the world where they can't meet because it's illegal. That even us just doing this, having Sam leading us in worship and, and Nick and Lynn here with, with, with the text of an Abby to come and just share some announcements, this is illegal. We would be arrested and shut down and who knows what else. But there are people doing it because they're like, you know what, he's our awesome God worth worshiping, worth living for. He is worth living such a life that doesn't matter what comes. And we see here Paul make one of his most well-known statements. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, Talk about a mic drop moment. And that's not even at the end of the letter. This is like right at the beginning. To live is Christ. To die is gain. What a bold statement. To die is gain. How? What are you you saying? You see, Paul's perspective, Paul's understanding of Christ, Paul's understanding of life is an eternal perspective, an eternal life. You see, to, to die is gain in, in this is a deep statement in that he's saying that actually with death, he will gain eternal life. He will gain that continual 24-7 presence of the Lord. He will be with him always. He will be reunited with Christ forever, for always. Nothing can separate him. And he says that that is a gain on anything that could happen in this world. And we know, we know, and please don't miss here, we know from last week, Mike gave an amazing talk about how the fact that death is an enemy of the Lord and how death was not the plan. Death was not what God intended, which is why Jesus came, so that we would have eternal life. And actually, it's in Jesus that we have that. And so we start with that to die is gain. Actually, he's saying, you know what? I'm willing to give my life if that is what you're calling me for, God, because you know what? I'm going to gain so much more in death. Even though I know it wasn't part of this, but when I do die, I'm reunited with you. There'll be a, I cannot wait until we're fully reunited. There's a new heaven, a new earth, and we're all there rejoicing and saying, come on! But our perspective isn't always there. Our perspective is not always of the eternal. And Paul says, I'm not sure which I would choose. Because actually, I love this eternal perspective. I love this to, to, to die is gain angle, but he says, to live, I choose. But you know what? To live is, to, is Christ. To live is to serve Christ through troubles, through, through strife, to, to give everything. Like to live is to be giving all that I have for the kingdom. And he's saying that to live is going to come with suffering because we see that Christ himself suffered. So to live is to suffer. And that's okay, he says, because you know what? It's for the kingdom. It's for his glory. So I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go for the sake of the kingdom. I'm going to go and I'm going to go and I'm going to go. 
Do, do, do we live a life that is in, in which we're so desperately in love with our Savior that we're so desperately going for it? Because I read these words of Paul and I go, wow, he, he loved Jesus. He didn't just say it. He didn't just, oh, Jesus is my, my Lord and Savior. He's my best friend. I welcomed him into my heart. He, he doesn't say his life speaks the love, the, the, the passion, the, the, how he is just all for Jesus. I wonder if, if we are in that place. And, and maybe you're sitting there going, no, Adrian, I'm not. But actually that prayer that he prayed for the church in Philippi, that I pray for us, that others pray for us, that we would so abound in love, that we would have that amazing growth of knowledge and deep spiritual insight. And actually, it's in that spiritual insight that we recognize that actually this stuff is, is but for this life. And that there's so much more in the life that we have is worth living for him to give everything that we've got for him. And you're thinking, man, why did I tune in to church this morning? This is heavy. Oh! But it's so good because it's the word of God. And don't get me wrong, it's not about guilt. You might be sitting there going, ah, I'm rubbish. And that's not what Paul intended. I can promise you there were people in the church in Philippi that were like, Paul, whoa, slow down. Mate, you're in prison for Christ. Good on you. Grows my confidence, but I'm not there yet. I'm sure there were people like that as well. And you might be one of them. That's okay. But actually, we see that there's a call to, to give our whole life. Christ, and we're not going to just find it in the letter to the Philippians. We saw it in Romans, and we're going to see it in Galatians. We're going to see it in Jesus' own words. We're going to see it through the Old Testament. Through the, across the board, as we recognize what God is saying and doing, it's about entering into relationship with him, about being freed from our rubbish, our sin, our brokenness, to step into righteousness, to step into what he's got for us. And at this point, after he's dropped like some bombshells already, like this is just the intro from Paul. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what? At this point, he kind of shifts his writing a little bit. And he, stops, he kind of stops sharing about himself as much. And he starts really putting on encouragement for the church. But then he focuses to encouraging the church specifically, specifically for them. And he reminds us that we must live a life worthy of the gospel, united in spirit and mind. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We see that regardless of what happens to him, he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter what happens to me. If I get stuck in jail, if I die in jail, it doesn't matter. You go, you live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the good news of Jesus, worthy of the fact that, that he took the cross for you, that he rose again, that he's ascended into heaven. I stood here on Easter Sunday going, it is worth celebrating, right? It is worth going, woohoo! As all the mics peak everywhere, sorry. I stood here saying that. And those who were here were like, yes and amen. And I'm hoping and praying that if you were watching with us, you would agree to that as well. And that is what he's saying here. That it is worth celebrating. So let's live a life worthy of that, worthy of what he's done for us. This is big because it brings a question, are we living that life? Are we living a life worthy of the gospel? Are we alive to the gospel? Are we living a life that is for him, about him, for the kingdom? Or do we need 
reviving. Again, I said a few minutes ago, this is not about guilt, and please don't hear it as such, but I genuinely believe that God has given us that word revive for now, and I believe that this series is about all of us reviving, being revived from what has possibly been one of the most difficult years in many people's lives, and that's globally, but I don't even know what else you've been going through that's probably knocked you, shocked you, beat you, dropped you. And God wants us to be revived that we would live the life that he's called us to live, a life worthy of the good news. Reflecting that good news is our life worthy of the gospel. Because actually, as we live that life worthy of the gospel, it will be known that we are united in spirit and mind. Brings the question, are we united? Because if we're not united, then perhaps we're not living that life worthy of the gospel. It's heavy, isn't it? If we're not walking united in spirit and mind, not just us as a church, but actually more than that as, as Christians, as brothers and sisters, if we're not walking united, then, then something's not going on. Something's not right. We're not living that life worthy. And how do I can't control you. I can't control anybody in this building. I, can, I can't control my kids or my wife. I can only control me. So I need to go, God, okay, what does it look like for me, Adrian, to live a life worthy of your gospel, worthy of your good news? What does it look like, God? And then Paul does this amazing thing where in this one chapter already, he brings it almost full circle and reminds us that suffering for the Lord brings, us encourage, brings encouragement and confidence in the gospel. Because he ends by saying, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Hey, so he's saying, you heard that I had struggle. You know I'm still going through because I just told you I'm still going through struggle. And guess what? You're called, you're called, you're called to stay a life focused on Jesus, knowing that you're going to come and suffer as well. And the thing is, if you're anything like me, that word suffering, you run from. It's going to cause me suffering. I'm out. But if it's a life worthy of him, worthy of the good news, then there might be some suffering in there. Paul is saying that you may suffer, you may have it rough, and he's not taking away from that. He's not, he's not taking away from any of that. Neither am I. Please hear that. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, it's going to be easy. I'm not saying your suffering is just a walk in the park because I'm not. But it's worth it because for Christ is what Paul says. You're suffering for Christ. You're suffering for him. And actually, he's suffering with you. Paul's suffering with you, and, and, and Christ is suffering with you. And and he's kind of saying, Paul is saying to, to the church of Philippi, hey, we, we got this because God's got us. Hey, you're suffering, I'm suffering. You've seen that I've suffered. We, I'll, I'll make it through. And you know what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We got this. You're going to suffer, but keep going. Keep going. Abounding in love. Keep going. Growing in knowledge and depth of spirit. Keep grow, going as you're meant to be living this life worthy of him. Be revived that you can give your life for Christ. So I'm, I guess the question I have is, do we need to be revived so as to live as we're called to be? 
We're called to live in harmony, loving one another, of one mind, united, giving our lives for Christ. Do we need to be encouraged to give all of our lives to him? Are you watching this right now going, I need to give more to you, God. I, I'm holding back some of me. I'm, I'm saving this for me. It's too, it's too ugly. It's too painful. It's not yours. And, or I, I don't want anybody else to see it. But maybe he's saying, just give it to God. Live a life worthy of him. And some of you will say, you know what, Adrian, but giving my whole life is hard. How do I do it? How do I do it with my work? You don't understand my work. I can't, I can't be Christian in my work context. I can't, it's not acceptable. How do I do it? I, I, I can't do it at school. I can't do it with my friends. My family don't love Jesus. How do you want? I don't have all the answers. I, I wish I did. But I know somebody who does. And I know that as you pray and as you seek him, as you look to live a life worthy of Christ, of his good news, he will guide you by his spirit. You know, one of the guys... Um, that is probably one of the most famous musicians at the moment is a guy called Justin Bieber. Some of you will never have heard of him. Some of you will. But he's a, a, a young guy who became famous very, very young and has made many stupid mistakes, done some stupid stuff. Some of his songs, he's said things that you're just like, wow, really? But in the last few years, he's come to know Jesus. And on Easter Day, he released... A Christian EP, a Christian album, short one, but he released it. And this is a guy who will openly tell you, I don't have it figured out. He's a guy who is judged by his life, by his decisions, by his music. He's a guy who every industry bigwig will tell him, what are you doing? You can't release a Christian album. That's going to alienate this crowd. And they don't like Jesus. And those who love you over here, and that album's not going to sell any. And he said, I just need to get out. And it's not a worship album. It's not something that we would play on a Sunday morning. It's a Christian album where he's essentially declaring love for God. And, and it's, it might be to your taste. It might not be to your taste. It's not what I'm talking about. But for him, how he decided to step out to live a life worthy, he's received criticism for it. And he will continue to receive criticism for it. Some people think it's a gimmick. It's a ploy. He has, he's very active on his Instagram feed, one of the social media sites, and he on that talks about Jesus on a regular basis. He'll talk about a tour, he'll talk about this, and he'll say, hey, Jesus loves you. Now, I, I don't know the guy's heart. I don't. But when people ask me, how do I do what I do? How can I love Christ? How can I, you know, this is a guy who has everything against him. The whole world has eyes on him. Any, any move. In fact, one of the songs, he actually says, I'm afraid to do anything wrong because of the judgment that will come my way. Perhaps you feel the same way. You don't want to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing in your own circles because who knows what's going to be said or what's going to be done. But at the end of the day, as you focus on Jesus, you know what? That gives you confidence and courage. And I'm not going to lie. I've seen this guy, young guy, step out and put this album out. I'm like, you know what? If he can put out an album and say that he loves Jesus and literally name Jesus and talk about the resurrection, about how on the third day he rose again. And man, if he can do that on his platform, that gives me confidence and courage to do it in my platform, in my social network, in my places. That's his work. How can you do it in your work? How can you do it with your people to live a life worthy of him? Don't mishear me. I'm not saying he's perfect. He probably has his own skeletons. I'm not there. I don't know. But he's going for Jesus in one aspect of his life. How can we go for Jesus in one aspect of your life that maybe you haven't? How can you go for Jesus in all aspects of your life that you've been missing out in? How can you just go, go, go? We're called to live that life. To live 
is Christ. As we live, would we live for Christ and in Christ? To rejoice in Him, no matter how hard that might be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that you are an awesome God, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. I love you, God, so much, and I thank you, God, that you have given us your word to encourage us, to strengthen us. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, God, for for the words of Paul, the prayer of Paul, for us to abound in love. I thank you, God. Lord, I pray that this morning's message would would truly stir us up, God. I pray that we would be encouraged by Paul's words, that we would be challenged by Paul's words, that, God, we would recognize where we need to be revived. I pray that by your Spirit you would revive us, God, that we would be giving our whole lives for you, not just aspects in life, but all for you, all for you, God. I pray that you would encourage us and and make ways for us to do it in our realms of influences, in our work, in our family lives. Lord, you would make it clear how we can be your followers, that we can love you and share you and live a life worthy of you. And Lord, we pray that these things would be done for your praise, for your glory, for your kingdom, because it is all about you, God. And Lord, I pray that if there are things holding us back, stopping us, that we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ. That we are truly set free to live that life. To live life for Christ. So Lord, by your Spirit, embolden us, encourage us, strengthen us, cut chains that need to be cut, build up blocks that need to be built, that we would love like you want us to love. That we would grow and live like you want us to grow and live. All of these things we pray in Jesus' precious and awesome name. Amen.